when pastor asked me to preach, I, uh, I said, well, as long as you take all the hecklers with you. And he said, Rick's going with me. <laughs> I said, all right, I'll do it then. <laughs> no, actually, I've, I've enjoyed getting to know Rick. I've really appreciated him and, and many of you. Um, I'm kind of slow with names, so I've been looking at that board out there in the back, and it's probably going to be a while before I know all your names. And, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting to know a lot of you much better over the next several months and several years. And so we've really appreciated the, the uh, encouragement that you've been to us and the, the warm welcome that we've felt as we've been here. And we sure appreciate that. Uh, many of you know this is my wife Alexis up here at the front, and I have four children. And so we are just very uh, excited to be in a church like this. Um, you know, it's, it's, well, as Joel mentioned earlier, it's, it's quite a privilege to go to a church where people place such a priority on being in God's house when the doors are open. Seeing this many people on, on Wednesday night is really an encouragement to us. Um, you know, you just, it's, it's hard to, to really, uh, you know, really appreciate that. I think sometimes when you're looking for a new church, which we have been recently, and you know, it, we, we, looked, we looked at a lot of churches, and uh, good churches are hard to find, and we're glad we found this one. And uh, give you a little bit of background about myself. Uh, my name is Doug Nelson, for those of you that don't know me. And I had the privilege of uh, being born into a Christian home. Uh, my dad was, was raised Lutheran um, for 16 years. He said that they were in church all the time. He heard about Jesus every Sunday. But it wasn't until Bill Rice came to uh, Harlan, Iowa, and in, uh, when my dad was 16 years old, that he heard the gospel for the first time and actually heard someone challenge him as to whether or not he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it was at that time that he got saved. And uh, my mom was also saved out of, a, out of a Catholic background. She was also saved as a teenager. And so once they got saved, then they began going to the, to the Baptist church there in Harlan. And so, as I said, I've, I've been very privileged to... To, to be born into a Christian family. Um, the church that we went to when I was growing up had a children's church service on Sunday mornings. And when I was about seven years old, the church that I was attending had a very thriving bus ministry. And I can recall that as I would sit in that uh, children's church service every Sunday morning, that um, it seemed like just about every Sunday there was one person, one or more, who were going, responding to the invitation to accept Christ as their Savior. And it dawned on me when I was about seven years old that just because my dad was a Christian and just because my mom was a Christian, that didn't make me a Christian. And so I responded to the invitation one Sunday morning, and that's, that's when I accepted the Lord as my Savior. I wish I could tell you that uh, everything was smooth sailing after that, but that's not the case. Uh, when I became an adult, um, I think I just came to the conclusion that I only needed to go to church once a week. And so I began doing that. And um, fortunately, God had other plans. When I, short, shortly after I was married, um, the Lord just put a desire in, in uh, the heart of my wife and I that we needed to be in God's house. We needed to take, our, take advantage of the opportunities that, that were made available to us to learn his word, to hear it preached, to hear it taught. And uh, we came to the conclusion that we couldn't expect our children to grow up and, and uh, really be obedient to the Lord and expect to serve him if we weren't going to change some things about our lifestyle. So, um, you know, fortunately, the Lord just draw us, drew us back to church very regularly and, and just put in our heart a desire to serve him and to be more obedient. 
and uh, I've, I've never regretted it ever since. So, like I said, I look forward to getting to know many of you a lot better over the next several months and years. Um, in a lot of churches, as we, we found out when we were, when we were kind of looking for a new church, there's a lot of churches that don't even have a, have a midweek service. They, they've just given up. They've given up the, the fight that people have for athletics and all the other things that compete with, with uh, you know, being in God's house. And you know, like I said, this is a big encouragement to me to, to be in a church where there's this much priority and emphasis placed on that. And, you know, we began as, as we were in the, the last church that we were in to uh, really just feel the strong conviction from the Lord that we need to get into a church where they had a biblical view of worldliness and separation. And so, you know, it's, it's tough today. We, we need to stand strong for what God's Word teaches, and I'm glad that from what I've seen here, that seems to be the case. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, that's where we're going to begin tonight. I want to look at a passage of Scripture, the first 12 verses, that I think not only emphasizes, the import, the, not only emphasizes God's Word or the importance of it, but emphasizes the importance of understanding it. In these 12 verses, you'll find at least five times the, the reference to understanding God's Word. Not just God's Word, but, but actually under, understanding what it means. And to give you a little bit of a background up until this point... Um, this was about 2,500 years ago from today. And the, the nation of Israel was returning to the promised land. And uh, they had had a, a history of being very inconsistent in their, in their dedication to the Lord. And there was highs and there were lows. Um, you recall as you, you study through some of the, the books like First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, they had their high points when, when someone such as Josiah or Asa would rediscover God's word and begin to make form, reforms and begin to change things. The people would again then become in close fellowship with the Lord, but then ultimately you know, they would fall out of fellowship with the Lord again and revert back to their wicked ways. And So there was that long pattern of inconsistency consistency throughout the nation of Israel. And, you know, that, that reminds me somewhat sometimes of my own personal life. You know, sometimes I'm very consistent in my personal devotions and our family devotions, but then, you know, the world creeps in and all of a sudden a week or two goes by and you, you're off track and, and you need to get back on track. Well, that's where the nation of Israel finds itself here in Nehemiah chapter 8. They need to, they, they are about to rediscover God's word again and rediscover the importance of it. And so I want to read the first 12 the first 12 verses of chapter 8, you follow along as I read. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Mesesaiah on his right hand and on his left hand Padeah and Mishael and Melchiah and Hashem, and Heshbadena, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. 
And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akub and Shabbatai and Hodijah and Mesesaiah and Kalida and Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah and the Levites caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to, great, and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray tonight that you would reveal to us the true meaning of your word. I thank you so much for your word and those that are here, and I just ask that you bless our time together. And just make it profitable, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to draw your attention to here in verse 1 is that it says, All the people gathered themselves together. You know, I've, as I've already mentioned, this church seems to, to place a high priority on being in God's house when the doors are open. And I think that's very important. I mean, it's not only a big encouragement to all of the, the rest of us that are here. It's not only it helps build one of, you know, each of us up. But it's commanded in Scripture. Hebrews 10.25 says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And it's very important. Um, you know, I, last summer, my family and I had the uh, privilege of taking a trip to Peru. And we went down there to visit one of the missionaries that our church supported. And while we were down there, one of the things that we did while we were down there for about a little over three weeks was that the missionary took us on a trip from the high mountains of Peru down to the low jungle. And as we were heading down to the, to the low jungle to visit some of the churches that he hadn't visited in, in probably many, many years, these were churches that his father had started decades ago. As we were traveling down there, one day we got up and we traveled on this dirt road that was just as dusty as any road I've ever seen. The, uh, it's as dry as can be down there. There literally must have been two inches of dust on the road. In the middle of winter down there, it's 90 degrees. And uh, they're, they're, they average about a tenth of an inch of rain each month in the winter. So it, and it never rained the whole three and a half weeks we were there. So it is dry. And when, when, a, big, when, a, when a car would go by, which, which the, uh, the missionary that we were going with had a truck, that was piled high in the back with, with uh, suitcases and all kinds of stuff, and there was a tarp over it. Tony had to ride in the back. And, Every time, you know, another vehicle would go by, a big dust cloud would go up, and there'd be so much dust on you, you literally could fling it off of your clothes. You look like Pigpen and Charlie Brown. <laughs> and when we were going down that road, we passed this one family. It was about 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon. And uh, I didn't think a whole lot about it. The missionary stopped and began to, to talk to this family, and, and uh, they were on their way to church, to the church service that we were headed to. 
And uh, they didn't know, this was the midweek service, and they didn't know that this was the, the uh, week that we were going to be there, that the missionary was going to be there. The missionary had just told the, the national pastor that that church had been turned over to. He just said, we're going to be there sometime in the summer. But, you know, in Peru, that's about as specific as you get because you never know what's going to happen. So, you know, we passed that family. There wasn't any room in our vehicle to give them a ride or anything. And so, you know, as we began to go, it began to dawn on me. You know, we'd, we'd go a mile down the road, a half hour or so, and then we'd go another mile, another half hour or so. By the time we got to that church, the service started at 7 o'clock. I mentioned something to the missionary. I said, those people, they're, they're sure walking a long way to get to church. He said, well, they do that every week. They come down the mountains, and they walk down this dusty road for several hours and several miles. They go to church there on, on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. That particular night, since the missionary was there, the service got over at 11 o'clock that night. And uh, they just stayed overnight in the jungle outside the little adobe church there, and they went home the next morning. And he said that's usually what they did every week. And that, that, really, you know, that, that really got to me. I mean, that, that's dedication. You know, I, I only need to think of that when I think about the 20 miles that I have to drive to get here, and it makes my 20-mile drive seem pretty insignificant. I mean, that, that is, you know, it's, that's a humbling experience to see people that are that dedicated and that committed to being in God's house. And, you know, five, five or so years ago when Dave Wormley and I, many of you know Dave Wormley, he's, he's also a new guy in the church, we were serving on the pulpit committee of uh, the church that, that we were attending at the time. They were looking for a new pastor, and Dave was the, the chairman of the pulpit committee, and we had 160 resumes to go through. So as, as was, uh, we had learned, we began to go through them, and we would have some phone interviews before we would go to the expense of bringing some of these people in for a face-to-face -face interview. And I don't, I don't remember how it came up, but we were interviewing this guy on the phone one Saturday, and, and I, I don't know what question we asked, but he said, my wife and children occasionally miss Sunday morning services because... They're, they're involved in soccer tournaments. But when you hear something like that and you're looking for a new pastor for your church, your heart sinks. You just want to throw that resume in the garbage can and, and hang up the phone and move on. I mean, that's no kind of example to lead your people with dedication to be in God's house. And you know, so we see here in verse 1 that the people gathered themselves together to hear God's word. The second thing that we see is that the people asked for God's word. They were hungry for God's word. They didn't, ask, uh, they didn't ask Ezra to do a book review on the latest bestseller. They didn't ask him to put on a skit or a drama or something like that. The people recognized that true power was found in God's word, and that's what they asked for. Um, you know, your presence here tonight demonstrates to me that you're here on Wednesday night because you believe in the power of God's word, or I don't think you'd be here tonight. And so the people asked for God's word. They knew what they needed. They knew what was important. This is the only inspired and fallible word of God. All the other books and commentaries in the whole world don't equal the word of God. And I think the people recognized that. The next thing we see in verse 1 is that the people went to Ezra. If you turn in your Bibles back to Ezra chapter uh, 7, verses 6 and 10, I kind of had a question in my mind when I was reading this verse. Why did the people go to Ezra? And if you look back to Ezra chapter 7, verses 6 and 10, you'll see there in verse 6, it says that Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He was skilled. He, he, had, he had prepared. Drop down to verse 10. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, 
and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. Ezra wasn't just qualified to preach and teach God's word. He practiced what he preached. It says that he did it. You know, and that's a good lesson for us today. I mean, whether we're working in VBS or Sunday school or children's ministry or whatever it is that we're doing, we're going to be much more effective in convincing someone that what we're trying to teach them is important if they're going to see it demonstrated in our lives, if they see it lived out in our own lives. And the people went to Ezra because I believe they could see that this guy practiced what he preached. They knew that he was going to know what he was talking about. The Bible says that that Ezra had returned 14 years before Nehemiah and a lot of the captives to, to the promised land, and he had spent all of that time preparing himself for this purpose that God had for him, for, for teaching God's word. And so the people asked for God's word, and they also went to Ezra. In verse 2, back to Nehemiah chapter 8, in verse 2, it says that the word was brought before all the people who could understand it, not just the adults, not just the men, not just the women, but it says all the people who can understand it. I think a lot of times we underestimate what our young people are capable of. I mean, one of the things that's been refreshing to me is here at Westwood Heights, I see the young people in the Sunday night and Wednesday night services. And I think that's what this verse is talking about. You know, a lot of times in our churches, we, we create an alternative service where we kind of water down the message and we kind of gear it more towards entertainment. And I think we underestimate our young people. They're capable of understanding what, what the pastor's preaching. They can ask questions at home. I mean, a little bit sinks in little by little. You know, they may not get it all, but I think a lot, of it, a lot more of it probably sinks, sinks in than we really realize. I get, you know, I, you know, just like with my own children, I don't, they're not going to be bringing coloring books and colors and things like that to church. They don't need that. They can understand God's word. They can listen to what the pastor has to say. And I think that's what this verse is talking about, that all the people who were old enough to understand were in the services. Also, in, in verse 3, we see that the people were attentive. It says there at the end of the verse, all the years of the people were attentive under the book of the law. The first half of the verse reminds us once again that all the people that could understand were in the services. The people were attentive. Um, You know, maybe a loose translation of this verse would say the people didn't sleep in church. <laughs> I mean, they were attentive. All the people. It says all the people. Now, I was kind of always reminded of the young people in, in the Sunday school class that I used to teach. It's always amazing to me how many verses in the Bible that I read have that word all in them. I mean, there's so many verses, whether it's a positive or a negative, there's so many verses that always spell it out and make it very clear to us when a, when a verse in the Bible is talking about all the people. And this verse says, all the people were attentive. I think that, that's wonderful. I think that's important. In verse 4, we see that God's word was elevated, not just physically, but symbolically. Ezra stood on a platform to give honor unto God's word. I think this, this also made, you know, just like this platform up here, it made it easier for people to understand God's word. They could not only listen, but they could also see the person that was doing the teaching. And, you know, keep in mind, these people didn't have their own copy of God's Word. I mean, one of the privileges that we have today is that you know, we can be out there in the pew, and as the pastor's reading the, the Word of God, if we get lost, we can kind of pick up, you know, once we feel, realize where he's at, because we're kind of following along in our own copy. Well, they didn't have their own copy. I think that probably even placed a greater importance on them to make sure they were paying attention, because it would have been a lot easier to get lost. 
And so the people, uh, you know, having a platform and, and going to the trouble of making sure that, that the surroundings and the environment was appropriate, they needed to do that to give the people every opportunity that they had to be able to understand God's word. The, the Bible also says here in verse 4 that the people made the platform. The people made that. And if you look throughout all of the Bible, that's always been God's pattern. Whether it was the tabernacle or the temple or the New Testament church, God's people helped in the construction of the building, of the physical structure for worship. And I think, you know, just in what short time I've been here, it seems inevitable that very shortly this church is going to have to go through another expansion. And I'm looking forward to contributing in whatever ways I can. Um, next, in verse 5, we see that the people respected God's word. When it was open, they stood up in reverence to God. I mean, the Bible is like no other book. It is the very word of God. We need to treat it like that. We need to view it that way. Proverbs 35 says that every word of God is pure. Um, you know, it's amazing. When I talk to people at work, I think every single person in, in, in the, uh, on the team that I work at at work goes to church somewhere. Most of them are unsaved, but they go to church somewhere. And it's amazing to me, the number of people I talk to, that go to churches that don't even open the Bible. I don't know why you'd waste your time going to church like that. But the, this says that when, when God's word was open, the people stood up, and they, they, were, they were in reverence to God. They, they worshiped him. They respected God's word, and they recognized it for what it was. In verse 6, we, we see that the people were humbled by God's word. Uh, you know, they, Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible will reveal to us our true state. It will show us that we're sinners. And when people recognize that, they bow their head in, in, in awe of God and, and realize how inferior they are to him. In verses 7 and 8, we see that the people, the, the leaders... The, the Levites and the priests helped the people to understand God's word. It says they explained it. They gave the sense. They helped people to understand what it meant. I mean, we can admit some parts of the Bible are hard to understand. It's not uncommon at all. My kids are always asking me questions that I don't know the answer to. It, it causes me to dig in and try to find the answer. Uh, you know, in Second uh, Peter, Peter said of Paul's writings, he said some of the things that Paul has written are hard to understand. In Acts chapter 8, verses 30 through 31, Philip went to the Ethiopian eunuch, noticed he was reading the book of Isaiah, and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, no, I don't understand unless somebody should guide me and help me and show me what it means. We, we shouldn't have any problem admitting that God's word, it takes effort to understand God's word. It takes dedication. But that doesn't mean we should give up. I mean, I'm so thankful that Pastor Largen is, is preaching Old Testament books. I mean, how many churches would ever even hear of the, the book of 1 Kings or Job, let alone actually go through it? I mean, all 66 books of the Bible are extremely valuable. There's so much truth in there that we can benefit from. And I, I'm just glad that, that he's taken the time to do that. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But it goes on to say they're not destroyed because they lack information. They've rejected the information that they've been given. Just like we've got all the answers that we need here in God's word, but how many, you know, how many times we don't know the solution to our problem because we haven't been in God's word looking for the solution to our problem. It's in there. We just need to find it. And we need to, we need to understand that the entire Bible is important. I mean, there's 31,000 verses in there, and they're all of value. God put them in there for a reason. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all scripture is profitable. So I think we, we don't want to underestimate uh, the importance of God's word. I'm glad that we, we can come and actually have four services in a week to take advantage of opportunities to further understand God's word and further grow in our knowledge of him. And hopefully you're taking time to even do that on the days you're not coming to church. In verse 9, we see that the, the power of God's word that it has to change lives. It says the people wept when they heard the word of God. I've been in church services, and I tell you, it's wonderful when you see someone tear up because they understand God's word. They understand for the first time that they're a sinner. They understand for the first time that, that they are destined to go to hell, that, they're, that they are the enemy of God. I mean, the good news is, though, the wonderful news is, is the Bible not only reveals to us that we're sinners, it reveals to us the solution for our sin. And sometimes it's hard to tell when someone's crying whether or not they're, they're crying for tears of joy or tears of sadness. If you look in verses 10 through 12 here, it says the priests were explaining, they were telling the people, they said in verse 11, hold your peace. Uh, in verse 10, neither be ye sorry. You know, it's almost like they're a little bit frustrated. They're telling the people, hey, we were kind of expecting this to be a little bit of a celebration, and you guys are crying and mourning and weeping and sorry. And, you know, it's almost like they're a little bit frustrated. But, you know, I find that situation in my own life. I mean, sometimes when I think back to some of the things that I've done, I think back to the sin of my past, I can get very discouraged. I can become very sad. And then I have to remember that there's also those passages in the Bible that, that tell me that God has forgiven that. God has put that behind me. Isn't it wonderful that we can move on? We don't need to continue to be sorry and continue to mourn. And the priests were trying to get the people, you know, in verse 12, they said, let's make great mirth. They're saying, you know, we kind of really intended this to be a celebration, this rediscovery of God's word. I mean, I think it was wonderful that the people were experiencing this sorrow because they recognized that they were truly repentant and truly sorry for the things that they had done, and they recognized that they needed to change their life. They needed to change the way they were acting before God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes on to say that it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible will get down into the innermost parts of you that no one else knows about. You know, I can read God's word, and, you know, there's things I can hide from my mom, my dad, my wife, my children, but I can't hide anything from God. And when I'm studying God's word faithfully, it reveals that to me. And so it causes me sometimes to kind of be on this little emotional roller coaster where sometimes I'm sad, but yet on the other time, on the other hand, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm very joyful. And that's what they were encouraging the people to do. They said, be joyful. And then lastly, in verse 12, it says, why were they supposed to be so joyful? What, what, what reason did they have to be so joyful? Because they had the opportunity to understand God's word. They didn't have to be, continue to live in the dark. I mean, they had been in, the, in, the, you know, in, in captivity in Babylon and these other locations. And a lot of them didn't have access to the word of God. Again, we have to remember and we have to keep in mind that a lot of times if they didn't have a priest or a Levite or someone there that had a copy of God's word, other than what they had memorized, they just didn't really have any access to it. And, you know, again, I can't, I mean, I can't, over, you know, I don't think I can appreciate enough how much, what a privilege it is for us to have our own copy. I mean, just like Pastor said on Sunday, you know, how many Bibles do we have laying around our house? I mean, I could go through every room of our house, probably find a couple here and a couple there, 
couple that my, my girls seem to lose every Sunday and they can't seem to find. I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, what a privilege that is. Even when we were down in Peru, a lot of people didn't have a Bible. We were traveling on this one road. We were going down to, uh, the, this, was, this was completely, uh, I, I couldn't even understand what was going on. I thought, you know, we're going to, you know, you hear about these countries where it's illegal to have a Bible. So you're scared to have a Bible. Well, we were going down to visit this uh, police village. The, the missionary that, was, uh, that we went down to see, he was a native of Peru. He was actually born there. His mom and dad went down there in the 50s to be missionaries. And so he's a Peruvian citizen. And because of that, he has special privileges. He was in the Peruvian army. And so because of those connections, he can get in. And, and we went to prisons where he preached the word of God. We went to police stations where they would just line up all the police officers. And he would preach the word of God to them. He just had opportunities that, that was just amazing, the, the things that he was able to do. But when, he went, when we were going down and traveling down this road on, this, on our way to this one particular police station, he comes out of the police station and he says, we've got to hide the Bibles. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, you, you're telling me all along this is a free country. You know, they have freedom of religion. You know, what, what's going on? And what had happened was he, you know, he, he had all these police stations on his list that we were going to visit as we were on our way down through the jungle to visit these churches. And we had taken, you know, 12 Bibles for this station and 12 Bibles for this station and 12, you know, we had all these Bibles. We, we had probably 100. We even bought some more in, in a town called Kiabamba where, because we ran out and we were trying to get all we could. We bought all they had. He says, you've got to hide the Bibles. He says, this, these, off, these police officers in this police station, they have called ahead and, and this other town that we're going to be going through, all the police officers there insist that we give them a Bible. And we don't have enough. He says, and if they come out and see the Bibles in the back of the truck, they're going to, you know, they're going to be pretty upset if they don't get one. He says, so take them and hide them down under that truck. You know, this is great. I mean, how many times, you know, you hear about these countries where they're hiding Bibles because they're for fear of getting in trouble, but we, we had to hide them because we didn't have enough. And the missionary had already committed those Bibles. He'd already promised those to police officers at other police stations. I mean, we just take for granted the, the privileges that we have here. You know, we just have Bibles stacked up, laying all around. Uh, what a privilege to live in a country like this where we can not only own them, but we have freedom to come here and worship and to, to use them and to study them. It, I tell you, it's wonderful. Uh, let's close in prayer. And uh, again, I just, I just want to say, though, that I, I really appreciate everything that uh, everyone has done to make us feel welcome. Uh, it's, just, it's just really an encouragement to us. And, and uh, again, we look forward to getting to know many of you a lot better over the next several years. Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for loving us and giving us the opportunity to, to study your word and to get to know you better. I thank you so much that you cared enough to send your son to die for our sin, that you cared enough to make a way for our fellowship that was broken to be restored. Uh, I just thank you for all the privileges that we have in this country of of uh, just being free to gather, to worship, and to encourage one another. And I just pray for each one here and, and myself that we certainly would never take that privilege for granted. I pray that we would exercise that privilege and, and use it to its fullest potential. And again, now I just pray that you bless each one here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.